the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. This is the Exxon Broadcast Network, broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network, Angel Broadcast Network, Wiki Broadcast Network, and WPBN-TV. For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net. This is A Different Perspective with Kevin Randall. A retired U.S. Lieutenant Colonel, Kevin Randall has been studying UFOs for nearly 50 years. Kevin has investigated some of the most famous UFO cases in the world and has been consulted for dozens of documentaries about UFOs. Considered one of the leading experts into the Roswell UFO crash of 1947, Kevin has written more than 25 books about UFOs, including the recently published Roswell in the 21st century. Now, here is the host of A Different Perspective, Kevin Randall. And we have returned from our hiatus, given the uh, programming schedule and whatnot, after, I guess, a historic event last night, or I probably say the other night. Um, We will be talking today with John Shirley, who is a fellow science fiction writer, and I may ask him about this later on. I know that when it comes out that I write science fiction, people often look at me and say, well, you can't legitimately study UFOs and write about them because you're a science fiction writer. For some reason, this day job disqualifies me from UFO research, but apparently only me. Well, that, uh, oh, John, that's go absurd ahead. Reasoning. I, that's absurd reasoning. Isaac Asimov uh, was a scientist. Um, you know, uh, Arthur Clarke did scientific work. Uh, uh, lots of lots of science fiction writers uh, were or had been working scientists. Well, if you look at uh, the membership of the Science Fiction Writers of America, an awful lot of them are working scientists. So, yes, it's an absurd thing, but it's something that's said in the UFO field, which is, which is ridiculous. Uh, that was John Shirley talking there, who is also a science fiction writer. But he's also a songwriter, and he has written a historical novel about uh, Wyatt Earp, Wyatt in Wichita. I don't know why I couldn't say Wichita. Wyatt in Wichita. And he has one nonfiction book. He has written novels, short stories, TV scripts, screenplays, and published over 40 books and short story collections. As a musician, he has fronted for his own band and written lyrics for the Blue Oyster Cult and others. Uh, Did you write um, my favorite Blue Oyster Cult song, Don't Fear the Reaper? No, I wish I had. My royalties (laughs) would be much more considerable. No. No, but I've written, I wrote uh, 18, um, the lyrics for 18 of their songs, but... 
none of their big hits, but things that um, did well enough that uh, they do have to pay me sometime. And um, they're good, you know, they're good albums. Well, and, and as you can now hear, John Shirley is a well-rounded, sort of a renaissance man type fellow with all the things that he's done. He's also uh, written things for television and movies. He, uh, I guess, did the original script for The Crow, which uh, was later... Right. Later, later reworked. Um, he wrote for Deep Space Nine, Poltergeist Legacy, which airs periodically on what is known as the Comet. So we've got a fella here who's written an awful lot of books, science fiction, and he is knowledgeable about UFOs and the paranormal. One of his books, and I, I keep having to look at the title, it's Silicon Embrace. I think of Silicon Valley, which is the HBO comedy, which is I think pretty funny, but that deals with Area 51 and things of that nature. So with that kind of segue, notice how I worked that in there, segue, what uh, do you think is going on at Area 51? Oh, I think it's always been just uh, human uh, technological experimentation of different kinds. Um, and uh, I, do, I don't think there's any alien hardware being hidden in Area 51. There's not really any strong evidence for that. I, and I think that uh, there, there is evidence that um, Area 51 uh, has been kind of um, given a smoke screen of, of uh, UFO activity um, that that uh, the, and there had this has come out actually in, in uh, some uh, declassified documents which I don't have right in front of me unfortunately but they actually did use UFO reports to try and blur the picture so that the Soviets wouldn't take area 51 seriously um, and you know, and just generally muddy things. Uh, it's, it's, uh, so UFOs were not that there are no actual UFOs, but, but, uh, military Intel, um, sometimes used UFO reports as disinformation in order to, to screen what was really going on development of, uh, the, uh, stealth technology and so on at area 51. I understand I there's a new, Area 51 type place somewhere in Colorado that's very mysterious. Well, I was going to say that I uh, always, when I'm asked that question, I always say, I believe it's the place where we're uh, investigating the new uh, technology that we're developing our, our next generation of military aircraft. But we're going to have sure, to take yeah. our. We're going to have to take our first break here. For those who are interested, oftentimes the discussions that we have here appear on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com so you can get a little bit of additional information or some ideas of where to go for more information about the topics we discuss. So we will be back right after these messages, so stick around. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Gibbs A. Williams, Ph.D., is a practicing psychoanalyst, supervisor, researcher, and author in New York City. Much of his life has been dedicated to understanding nature and the uses of meaningful coincidences or synchronicities. His radical and original non-Jungian, non-mystical, non-magical theory of synchronicities illuminates much of the fog surrounding this challenging and perplexing topic. 
His ideas and manners are fresh, presented in a style that is both entertaining and highly informative. He is also an expert on crisis intervention, specially focused on violence reduction for the police and citizens, mastering anxiety, frustration, and stress without the use of medication, and effectively preventing and treating heroin addiction. Dr. Williams can be contacted at his email address at gwwilliamsny11 at aol.com or visit his website at www.drgibbswilliams.com. This is Johanna Carroll, host of Dialogue with Divinity on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. While walking along Kanapali Beach in Maui this past year, I kept discovering all these shells and coral in the shape of hearts. My Dialogue with Divinity was very simple. Do you want me to do a retreat to heal people's hearts in Maui next year? And of course, the answer was yes. As a master spiritual teacher, I am offering you a neat retreat called Rise, May 8th through the 12th, 2017, and the chance of a lifetime to rest at a five-star resort for five days and experience a spiritual renewal of your heart and soul. Kanapali is one of the top five beaches in the world. This stunning resort has undergone a $40 million renovation. I walked the entire property, checked out the room choices on your behalf, and I must say, it is stunning. Our conference room faces the ocean with sliding glass doors. Maui is known as Mother Maui because it is a soft, gentle, healing energy. In the embrace of Mother Maui, you will feel yourself rising from the limitations of an ordinary life to an extraordinary journey of peace, bliss, and harmony a greater sense of clarity. Our RISE retreat ignites renewal in the sacred elements of air, water, earth, fire, and wind. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. The we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pounds. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. There's plenty of free time to enjoy all that Maui has to offer. A small deposit is required now to reserve your space as this retreat, it will sell out. For more details, please go to Johanna carol.com and register today aloha and i'll see you in mystical maui And we are back with John Shirley, my special guest, science fiction writer extraordinaire, songwriter, movie writer, uh, contributor to the Star Trek uh, series, and things of that nature. When we went away, we were kind of talking about Area 51 and how it is the area, I think both of us agree, is the place for the development of the next generation of military aircraft. But as we were talking about that, John said something about... um, being used or or UFOs being used to kind of disguise what was going on. And it kind of leads to the question, do you think there are real UFOs? By that I mean uh, alien spacecraft, or are you of the opinion that the sightings can be explained in terrestrial terms, meaning natural phenomenon, the, the, the military kind of hiding their next generation of aircraft in these reports and that sort of thing? I think, um, I think I don't know for certain, but the majority of sightings are um, uh, what I think about is is um, um, probably explainable flying objects, the PEFOs, <laughs> and uh, you know, and a P, yeah, PEFOs, uh, and it's just that you know you uh, you have to look at them and and use a kind of um, 
uh, filter uh, to, to remove the uh, less probable explanations for most of these. But there are some, as you know, that are very um, mysterious and, and uh, difficult to explain away. Um, I've always wondered about the, uh, the, the sightings over, I think it was in 1952, over Washington, D.C. Was it 52? Yes. Well, there, there's just a, a, a big cluster of, of sightings and, and people and in in military people in aircraft seeing things and, and um, some filming of lights uh, or reflective objects in the sky. And I don't know if that was ever satisfactorily explained, for example. I mean, some people would say it was a um, uh, Earth-like phenomenon of some kind or something of that sort, but I don't know. But there are there are things, there are instances like that that stand out that are far more difficult to explain away. But but I think the majority of UFO experiences, um, like I give you an example, a guy uh, came to me and said that he had film of UFOs taking off and and landing uh, at you know in the distance uh, in this certain area, and he was afraid to go near it and. And so we, I looked at it on a map, and I checked the distance, and that was the exactly corresponded to uh, the nearest airport. Which, <laughs> and the thing is, is that at night, um, airplanes coming up, if they're coming toward you, uh, as they're as they're rising, they seem like they're they look like they're going straight up. Oftentimes, they look like they may seem to be moving in a kind of mysterious flying saucery way. And they're kind of an elliptical blur at first. Uh, and then, you know, they can often, when they change, uh, course, they, they swing about and they're going to go, uh, in a, in a way that can make them seem to be zipping off. And I told him, you know, you're seeing far too many of these, <laughs> you know, and that doesn't that tell you something right there. And, this is an airport, and this is a common illusion, an optical illusion that people have when looking at planes. And I've well, I was, was going to say, I was going to say, daylight. Yeah, I was going to say that that you know that that's a, a very interesting thing. I remember looking up in the sky one night and, and seeing what I thought was a dome disc. I was just absolutely sure it was a dome disc because of the configuration of the lights on it and whatnot. And then I heard the roar of the engines, and the airplane turned. And suddenly it was no longer a dome <laughs> disc. So had I not had right. an opportunity to observe it for 15 or 20 seconds, had I not heard the jet engines, I would have said, you know, I saw exactly. the dome disc with red and green lights on it. And, and you know, I'm a former yeah. military pilot, yeah. so I know what the lights look, are supposed to look like. So, you know, I get that you get fooled by those things. If you had run off and turned your back on it and run off to get somebody else and, or say, guess what I just saw? Uh, and then described it, it would have been a, you know, ended up being a classic UFO sighting. But because you were, you know, had a, the attitude of, of, of continuous observation and, and discernment, you know, and, and not jumping to conclusions, uh, you, you saw after a moment it was a plane. And that's happened to me before, too, the exact same thing. And there's the famous uh, UFO a film uh, at Catalina um, that looked like so convincingly like a, um, a flying saucer going behind a hill uh, over Catalina, the island of Catalina. And uh, I'm sure you know that one. And eventually um, they took it to, I think it was North American Rockwell, and they did an analysis. And you can finally see the, um, the airplane uh tail a very distinct and just a little in the distinctive airplane markings on it um and the, but see in a distance the the our, our eyes and the atmosphere tend to make many airplane shapes elliptical uh, kind of like cigar shaped or 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 saucer on edge shape so we have to be careful of those things we're going to separate out the real from the um from from uh, the unreal uh, or or from you know, uh, misinterpreted stuff. We have to, because the whole point is getting at the truth. You know, the truth is out there when we, and, and, uh, we want to get at the truth and how can we do it if we just accept everything as, uh, you know, all the, like you, you go to a UFO convention and people say, this, this is how many UFOs have been cited. And, 
thousands and thousands, obviously it's something real. Well, most of those can be uh, eliminated. So that so the sheer bulk of them is not in itself evident. Most of them can be eliminated just by you know sort of parsing down the details and finding out what they the people were actually seeing. Like the time I saw a I saw a golden disc that was shining from within uh, and and kind of tilting and it was you know over just over the uh, San Francisco Bay Bridge. And then I, instead of running off to tell somebody, I kept watching it. And then the the breeze picked up and it began to disintegrate. And it was a cloud that was catching, uh, that was a, kind of a lens-shaped cloud catching the uh, first sunlight, or sun, uh, setting sunlight uh, just right to make it glow inside. And then it blew away in the shreds. <laughs> I was pretty excited for a moment. Uh, you know, so we, you know, we have to be able to make those distinctions so that we can find the what we hope will be the real thing. It's just like Houdini used to do with ghosts. He one, he was a skeptic, but he was always hoping to find the real thing. Well, I think one of the things you said that's that's interesting is um, going to the the UFO conventions, the symposium, and the people talking about all the sightings they've had or all the sightings that have been made. Um, and on the blog that you have on your website, I was looking at that uh, a couple of days ago, and you said something that I have said repeatedly, that we are not obligated to believe everything about the phenomenon. So that if I accept that maybe there's alien visitation, I'm not required to accept alien abduction or cattle mutilations or crop circles or all the subsets of ufology. I can look at the stuff and say, this makes no sense to me. Uh, Therefore, it is not alien visitation. It is something terrestrially based. Is that something that that you've thought for a long time and and, uh, sort of a theory that you've developed as well? Yes, it's just, it's um, it's a necessary skill uh, to to uh, be able to sort things out, and um, some things are very sexy, kind of, and difficult to elim- eliminate for you know sort of emotional reasons. Some of the fancier uh, crop circles, um, they they look cool, man, damn cool, and they can have a they exude an air of mystery and and. Uh, they're very cryptic in their sort of style. Then you, and so people write books about them and, and research them and make wild claims like this, this could never have happened except by this fantastically powerful energy doing it, which turns out not to be true. And, uh, and then if, if somebody comes forward as they have and, and saying, the exact ones you're talking about, I made myself, my friend, and we dragged a, a, piece of a lot of wood uh, along in a specific pattern that we worked out ahead of time on a computer. Um, and, um, here's the original computer program and here's how we did it. And here's the original film of us, of us doing it. And they still won't accept that that was not a real thing. It was not a flying saucer made crop circle. It was these hoaxers, even though the hoaxers showed them how had film of it and so on and so on. Uh, because they have any, a lot of people have a kind of emotional investment in these things. They get very in, identified with it, and, and they and so they 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 lose objectivity that way, and so they they waste energy on pursuing an area when they could they could keep that energy back and stay objective and find the real thing. It's like it's like. Um, you know, it's uh, you. It's it's like you, there's a like a thousand paths in a garden, let's say, but only one leads to the way out, and and they're sure that they all go to the way out. You know, it's not not every way in a maze leads to the way out. You you know you have to you have to be able to eliminate things in order to get to the real way through. So what you're suggesting here is that you're a skeptic. You look at. This yes. information is coming to you and you don't say, yes, I believe this because it's what I want to believe or what I need to believe. I look at the information to say, okay, is there a terrestrial explanation for it or is 
there's no explanation for it that we can find at this moment that we may find later on. But you look at it from a skeptical point of view. Yeah, I, I think of it as a scientific point of view. It's, I think it's the scientific method, is, and I, part of the scientific method is testing. So, you know, you kind of test it against, uh, in, well, in any way that you can. And if there are, you know, like physical um, uh, traces, you know, those have to be subjected to scientific tests. I mean, I remember that the uh, the guy who was a... Uh, a foot doctor who was who was uh, selling alien implants. Uh, oh, that, was, and, that was doctor. And, that, that was he, doctor. He had collected. That was doctor Roger Lear. I don't. I don't. Wasn't aware that he ever sold any of those things. But that was doctor Doctor Lear, and he was a podiatrist. Uh, I think you said. He, well, had, he turned up these things, and yes. he said that um, he, he sold videos about them. I think. Yes. And also, he you know he was he was hired to lecture about them. And uh, he and he, each one was this weird little pearly shape that he had taken, genuinely taken out of somebody's foot, um, and um, and it was a common thing that came up. And he said that you know the aliens like to insert things into your foot so they could monitor you, but you know when these things were taken and analyzed, it turned out to be almost invariably bottle glass uh, and. Uh, broken, you know, when you're, the tendency is, is sometime in your life, you're going to step on a piece of glass and not really feel it enough or not, you're not able to get it out. Then the body, uh, coats it with, with, uh, calcium, um, that, you know, makes it into this little kind of harmless node in your foot. Um, and it may have an odd shape depending on where it is and what it was originally shaped like. And that's all they found in those things. They, they, you know, uh, was was bottle glass, especially Coca Cola glass. <laughs> well, we're going to have we're uh, going to have to take a quick human, break. And human calcium. We're going to have to take yeah. a quick break here, but this kind of leads us toward abduction. So when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about alien abductions and maybe some other things like that. We will be back in just a few minutes. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere. 24-7-365 Wouldn't you love to know the secret to everything? Well then, meet Dr. Kimberly McGeorge and her cutting-edge, breakthrough knowledge that combines science with possibility. Dr. Kimberly brings real-life answers and healing to those open to alternative solutions. She teaches solution-based programs and classes that will change all areas of your life forever. Specializing in conscious creation, intuitive readings, and energy medicine, you can rapidly shift health, relationships, business, and money and abundance challenges quickly. Receive her best-selling book, Secret to Everything, at no cost by going to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone. That's right. Transformation can start now. Just go to secrettoeverything.com forward slash X zone and receive Dr. Kimberly's book for free. While science pursues fact, magic accesses the quantum level, bridging random facts to form truth. As long as science and magic remain separate and polarized, the truth cannot be known. I'm Gwilda Wiecka. Join me on the Science of Magic radio program, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. During each episode, I'll be speaking with experienced and respected scientists and mystics. 
from astrologers to astronomers, from medical doctors to shaman, the scientific method to dowsing and intuition, we'll weave together information from seemingly divergent practices to promote unity and enlightenment. Join me, Gwilda Wiyaka, and the Science of Magic right here on the Mutual Broadcast Network. For more information, visit www.thescienceofmagic.net. I am Dr. Carl O'Helvey, founder, president of a new cancer foundation focusing on evidence-based physical, mental, and spiritual interventions, including natural cancer cures, prayer, meditation, affirmations, nutrition, and other related holistic cancer prevention and cure modalities. These are used in cancer education, research, and financing care. I ask for your help to continue this important work by donating at www.holisticcancerfoundation.com. And we are back with John Shirley. And I think before we do anything else, we'll talk about abductions and implants in just a moment. But John, I I believe you've got a new book coming out. Would you like to mention that before we get deeply into abductions? Well, the book is is just out there with the publishers now. uh, So let's hope it's coming out. My agent just turned it in. And uh, it is called Stormland. And it's about... um, uh, a, a place in in America uh, where uh, there are major storms, like tropical to hurricane storms. This is, you know, a novel. Uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, year after year. So this, this city and the area around it is, is destroyed by constant storms. And yet there's a sort of a skeleton crew of people who, who insists on living in the town in the strange conditions where they live constantly in uh, in hurricanes under uh, beneath hurricanes and so it is a sort of it's a sort of metaphor about the extreme weather that's coming and um, it, well, I don't expect it to be that bad any place but um, it's it's uh, it's about human adaptability um, uh, and and learning about how small we are compared to the uh, meteorological. Uh, world that we live within. Well, I'll say one thing, and it, which people don't understand about science fiction. It's originally was designed to teach science to people and sort of sort of sugarcoat the science. But the best science fiction stories, as it, any any story, it's about the characters, about the people who are involved in the uh, whatever is going on around them. And I, I don't think that a lot of people understand that. They say, well, I don't like science fiction, but they've never tried it because they don't understand exactly what it's about. It's about the people. And speaking of people, yes, we, were, yes, we, were talking, we were talking a little bit about uh, Dr. Roger Lear's work on, on these um, implants, these alleged implants. And as you said, there never has been any really evidence that these are anything technologically advanced or alien in manufacture. But that leads us sort of into abductions as well. Uh, have you done much research into abductions, or do you know much about alien abductions? And what's your feeling about that? Um, well, I read a book called The Abduction Enigma. Um, <laughs> Thank you. By, I think it, I think it was by a guy named uh, – several people actually co-wrote it, I believe. But one of the yes. principal ones is a guy named Randall. Yes. And yes. Uh, I, and and I found it uh, I, a book that I I recommend constantly to people because it was a, objective, um, and and it was trying to get at the truth and it was and um, I, I really I really liked the the way you approached it and open mindedly but um, you know looking at well for example the, the history the human history of different people like Barney and Betty Hill and people like that you're looking at their history. And, and what actually happened with them. Um, and then you get past the 
movie of the week dramatization feeling of somebody like that and and you the the probability that uh, comes comes through uh i i don't i i i feel like uh alien abductions is the least believable part of of um the ufological uh scenario out there it's i i think that i don't think there's any evidence they've happened at all that that are you know uh not attributable to just the human condition um human states of mind i mean they they say how come it happens over and over again with similar patterns and that's because um you know human beings uh, make things up in similar patterns or experience things uh hallucinatorily with similar patterns and uh we have all we have all kinds of um psychological symbols just fermenting within us that looking for a way to come out. Um, well, the other that, thing, I think that's what's happening in these experiences. The other thing you can say about that is, you know, why do they all happen in the same pattern is because you have the research researchers who are communicating amongst themselves about how these abductions right. go down and how things happen. So they begin looking for the same clues. And so and this was a thing that struck me. Uh, Carl Lorenzen had, uh, talked to me about the Pat Roach abduction, which took place in Utah. I was the investigator on that. And, and she was struck by when Roach uh, drew the creature that um, it had a sort of a Sam Brown belt on. And she said, you know, this is something that we don't talk about, that, um, uh, you know, it's been prevalent in Europe and these sorts of things, and we don't talk about it. And my immediate thought, thought was, yes, but all the researchers know this. And so I watched the researchers Subtly, and I don't think they did it consciously, but they subtly implanted an awful lot of the information in the uh, person they were uh, interviewing or talking to or hypnotizing, uh, regressing. They were subtly implanting these ideas and didn't realize they were actually doing it. Uh, Russ Estes, Bill Cohn, and I did the book, and what was funny about this is we had been – in uh, in Roswell, as a matter of fact, for I think the – one of the uh, big festivals, and I know I remember Russ looking at Bill Cohn and said, "Should we tell him?" And I and Bill Cohn says, "Yes." And they started telling me about how they had done this abduction research, and they had been found these things out, these terrestrial explanations. And I said to him, "You don't have to, you don't have to convince me because I sort of reached the same conclusion myself based on the research I'd done." And so when you look at these things. I guess, scientifically or objectively, more importantly, objectively, you begin to see the trends and how things are spinning sort of out of control and how I don't think they're, the researchers are doing it consciously, but how they sort of model their research after what they've read and the patterns they've observed in the yeah. past. And we're led, we're led yeah. off into this idea. Yeah, when, so you, you kind of front load those, you kind of, uh, prime the pump unconsciously. Yes, and, yes. Uh, when they're yes, and 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 you know uh, the hypnosis as a way of of finding out uh, what really happened to a person is, has been fairly well debunked. Um, they're just it it doesn't work in um, uh, in the crime in the field of crime where it was tested and tested and tested and they just found over and over again that it was not reliable. Um, a famous example was the um, um, the child molestation ring. Uh, that, yes, you know uh, the, the McMartin uh, School. Uh, McMartin School, and then it turned out that, that there was nothing there, um, and and all these lives were ruined, uh, really, because of this, you know, belief in this in this um, form of of regressive hypnosis that just really is not valid. Well, the, 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 the sad thing about the McMartin School is one guy spent seven years in jail because he was this horrendous right. criminal uh, abusing children, and it wasn't true. He couldn't get bailed because yeah. nobody would, would do it. And when the trial was done and everything was, was looked at, there was nothing there. Every was done, but they'd, right. they'd lost their income. They'd lost their homes. They'd lost their uh, savings. They were just utterly destroyed. So – when you start dealing with these sorts of things, you have to be very, very careful. I was going to ask you about um, this idea. Do you, if 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 you are not alien visitation, uh, 
and they aren't necessarily terrestrially based. Do you have a, a theory of what, what they might be? Well, um, if they are indeed, uh, you know, extraordinary phenomena, uh, you know, besides something like some of them, some of them may be electric phenomena in the atmosphere, uh, which is pretty unusual, but is not, you know, intelligent in itself, probably. Um, then I always like the idea that that maybe they were um, time travelers. There are a few people that, that have this notion that that they might, um, you know, that time travel is possible and that they may come in a, in a, they do look like, like, uh, like when people cite the actual creatures, they kind of resemble what we think a futuristic human beings might look like. Um, I don't, but there's, there's no real evidence to jump to that conclusion. That's what it is. I just think it's an intriguing idea. And when you consider the vast distances and the, and the, uh, speed of light, uh, barrier, uh, you know, um, uh, and, uh, the, then you, you, you know, that it's, it makes it maybe, maybe slightly less improbable than, than, uh, aliens from another star system. Um, and also, uh, then, you know, uh, manifestations of something from, um, alternate universes is not impossible. We are, we have in recent years, gotten a consensus uh, amongst quantum scientists that, and and most physicists i think that there are probably um that this is a multiverse not a universe and that there, and that there there are uh these these alternate universes off branching endlessly off something um and um maybe there there can be penetration one to the next and then we might these things might be from there um i'm not saying that there's any of us for that either but but it's it is really to me not um more fantastic than the um than the interstellar uh explanation and it's it's very it's very stimulating to me as a science fiction writer too to to imagine these things and John Keels used to sort of speculate uh, about this, and uh, that they were coming from another dimension, and that and that Earth was their, uh, our world was their uh, amusement park. <laughs> well, I, they just what you're to play with us. You know what you're what you're suggesting here, and I, I think it, it kind of goes back to being science fiction writers, is you have an ability uh, to, I guess, look at alternative explanations for uh, the UFO phenomenon that might not be uh, valid throughout mainstream ufology. I've always said that, that my personal opinion, if, you know, if the information we are gathering is correct, there is alien visitation, I believe it's from, from sources inside our own universe uh, traveling in the interstellar distances. They've solved the problem of interstellar flight. But there's it's always the possibility. There's always the possibility that they're time travelers. There's always the possibility that it's some kind of interdimensional leakage into our environment as well. And, and those are also possibilities based on the observational data that we have. Yeah, uh, Jacques Vallée seemed to think of something of the sort. And, um, you know, he has, especially when he, he talks about the ancient... Um, uh, UFO, if, well, it wasn't called that at the time, but uh, sightings of strange things in the sky and these books of these things from, you know, going back to a thousand years and 1500 years. And sometimes they're just these big platforms in which uh, strange creatures are, are cavorting, <laughs> you know, and, and other and then battles that are taking place in the sky and so on. Um, so it's, it's almost as if it is some kind of leakage from some alternate reality. Um, it, yeah, I, I love stuff like that. I don't know what to believe from it, but it's, it's so, um, it's exciting, you know, and, and fun to think about. But, uh, ultimately, uh, the, the truth will be found by, by a, uh, some intelligent use of the scientific method. Well, we're going to have to take another break here. Uh, when we come back, and I know that you expressed an interest in talking a little bit about Roswell, maybe we can do that, and it'll give me an opportunity to promote my book. 
which I'm always. Yeah, I'm going to interview you about it. That's my plan. <laughs> okay, and uh, we so we'll learn a little bit more. This is a uh, uh, Kevin Randall. We are at a different perspective, and we will be back in just a few moments after this these messages. So stick around. As host of Dialogue with Divinity, I am thrilled to join the Exxon Broadcast Network and their growing number of affiliates. My quest for a connection to the divine ignited my successful career path as an international spiritual counselor for over 40 years, an author of four books, and well-known metaphysical educator. My clients call me their spiritual mama. So my job is to offer you a radio show to help you grow spiritually with wisdom and get specific tools from guests who are experts in their field. Tune into Dialogue with Divinity and be part of the conversation with Spirit. My goal, your happy soul. For more information, please visit my website at johannacarroll.com. soon to the Exxon Broadcast Network is a different perspective with me, Kevin Randall, as your host. We'll be taking a close look at what is happening in the world of UFOs today with side trips into the paranormal. Guests will range from those who are household names to those who have a different perspective on a variety of topics. No topic will be taboo, but there will be tough questions asked as we all search for the truth about UFOs, the paranormal, and those things that excite us. Sometimes we'll agree with a guest and sometimes we won't, but we'll try to keep the program topical. For those of you who would like to read, be sure to visit www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and remember to listen to the other fine programs on the X-Zone Broadcast Network at www.xzbn.net. This is Kevin Randall. For nearly 30 years, I have been investigating the case of the Roswell UFO. I have interviewed hundreds of people and stood on the crash site. Now in Roswell in the 21st century, I have reviewed dozens of hours of audio and videotaped interviews, examined hundreds of files that relate to the crash, and have returned to Roswell in an attempt to put all that information into the proper perspective. For the first time in Roswell in the 21st century, I have made a dispassionate reevaluation of all that material and provide a new look at what happened. This is a book that clears away all the clutter that has hidden the truth for so long, strips away the various lies that surround the case, exposes the Air Force attempts at cover-up, and found a core of solid information that tells us all where the case stands today. Roswell in the 21st Century will be available in just a few weeks. For more information, please visit my website at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. Afterlife expert Roberta Grimes was the first one to say that dying can be fun. Now her best-selling book, The Fun of Dying, is available in stores worldwide. So if you wonder whether death ends life, how it feels to die, or what heaven might be like, The Fun of Dying was written for you. And if you have always been afraid of death, or if you worry that your life is no meaning, let The Fun of Dying ease your fears and bring new meaning to your life. Nothing said in The Fun of Dying is based on the teachings of any religion. Instead, Roberta draws on evidence to explain how death happens, how it feels, and what comes next. A lot of the best death-related evidence was produced in the first half of the 20th century. When it is put together with recent discoveries, it tells a consistent and amazing story. Roberta Grimes blogs and answers questions at robertagrimes.com. Her wonderful book, The Fun of Dying, is available on Amazon and at stores worldwide wherever books are sold.
And we are back with John Shirley talking science fiction, alien visitation, interdimensional travel, time travel, and all of that sort of thing. As I say repeatedly, that oftentimes once we're completed with our conversation here, we will uh, I'll have something up on my blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com that may lead you to other uh, sites and things like that. It'll provide additional information. Uh, when we went away... John was threatening to interview me about uh, the Roswell case, so I will turn the microphone over to him, so to speak, and he can uh, ask a question about Roswell, and as I've said repeatedly, and you all know, uh, the book that just came out is Roswell in the 21st Century. It's available as an e-book. It's available as a print book, uh, so you can get it in any kind of form you want. John, the microphone is yours. <laughs> well, I... You know, uh, I, I want to know uh, what possibly new can be said about Roswell. Uh, I mean, we, I don't expect you to give away everything that people need to read the book uh, but to learn, but still um, maybe some hints. Uh, for example, uh, what is, um, why are you calling it Roswell in the 21st century? What's been found out in the 21st century? On this subject. When I began the project, a loot uh, of the supposed crashed uh, spacecraft at Roswell, New Mexico. When I began the project, I looked at it as a cold case. I wanted to re examine all the evidence that had been presented to this point. And in doing so, I found things that were very, very interesting. Uh, Jesse Marcel, Sr., the air intelligence officer at the 509th Bomb Group, uh, had a reputation of being an honest, up standing man. And by going through the testimony that had been recorded from him, not only by uh, Bob Pratt from the National Enquirer, and you might look down your nose at the National Enquirer, but Pratt had an interview with Jesse Marcel, and we had transcripts of it. So that was interesting information. Uh, there was a book by Linda Corley called For the Sake of My Country, and she spent hours with the Marcells. And you go through that book and you find out that Jesse Marcel had a tendency to embellish things a bit. So now we have a new, a new look at what Jesse Marcel was all about. One of the things that bothered me, and it's sort of the stolen valor idea, is he claimed to have five air medals. And with the Army, especially during the Vietnam War, um, Army helicopter pilots amassed huge numbers of air medals. Five would be nothing for, the, for an Army helicopter to have, pilot to have. I have 41 myself. So the <laughs> – and the guy who got the most – I mean there was one guy who had 127 of them. We got an air medal for every 25 hours of combat assault flight time. You know, No matter what happened, we got an air medal at the end of the 25 hours. So him having five is no big deal, but it turns out we can only document two. I don't know. I don't know how this came about. Uh, things like that. I looked at. There's the affidavit that Walter Hott created. He actually had two. One that he did in the early 1990s. He said, "I didn't see anything. I didn't hear anything. All I did was write the press release." I found a transcript of a uh, program that he was on. The, the the raw footage transcripts. And they asked him about, did you see the craft? And he said, no, I asked Colonel Blanchard about that, and Blanchard wouldn't let me. In the affidavit, he talks about not only seeing the craft, but he, he saw the, uh, the bodies of the alien creatures as well. But if you listen again to the raw footage of those interviews, he contradicts himself in the side of a single paragraph, inside a single sentence about what he'd seen and what he'd done. So uh, there were things like that that became very worrisome when you begin to look at the totality of the um, – testimony that been been gathered. The other thing that I talk about that bothers me immensely is that there is no um, letters from, from uh, service members to family members. There's no diaries. There's no journals. There's nothing that you would expect in the 1940s where somebody would write something like this down, even if it was in the most um, cryptic form because they, you know, they're all told, don't talk about this. Uh, but we can't find anything like that. 
And that that worries me immensely because there should have been some kind of documentation, somebody writing in their private journal figuring nobody's ever going to see it. We have never found anything like that. So explore all those sorts of things and how things came about and how we got into certain areas, uh, how the plane of San Augustine crashed, this idea that Barney Barnett was over on the plains of San Augustine and came across a, a craft there, how that is incorporated into the uh, Roswell case and why that probably has nothing to do with Roswell. So that's that's some of the things that I've, I think, uh, brought forth that, that wasn't really discussed prior to uh, my reexamination of the case. Well, uh, okay, but then that, all of that is kind of discouraging in terms of the believability of the the basic, you know, uh, you, uh, alien contact part of the Roswell story. Is there anything, anything that you made you sit up and go there? There's something that that um, you know uh, that backs up the, the 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 fundamental idea that those were that was a crashed spacecraft. If we're allowed to use testimony, and I you know I find find some of this a little bit. I'm leery of a little bit of this simply because, you know, the testimony after 50, 60 years changes. But the one thing that always struck me was talking to Major Edwin Easley. He was a provost marshal in Roswell in 1947. And I had, uh, uh, I guess, established a rapport with him. Unfortunately, I, I, I ended my military career as uh, a provost marshal as well in the military police. And I think we could have really established a rapport. But in this I said to him, are we following the right path? And he said to me, what do you mean? And I said, I, we think it's extraterrestrial. And he said, well, let me put it this way. It's not the wrong path. So there is something that I've always thought of as being very uh, persuasive about leading us into the extraterrestrial based on that conversation that he and I had. Unfortunately, the conversation wasn't taped. And it was because I was using the phone at the Center for UFO Studies and I didn't have an ability to tape from there. I always expected to talk to him again. And Mark Rodiger, the scientific director, wanted me to set up a meeting so when he was in Fort Worth, he would be able to talk to Easley. And I said, sure, I'll be glad to do that. Get somebody else's point of view on this. And unfortunately, Easley had been diagnosed with terminal cancer, and we never had an opportunity to verify that information other than what he had said to family members at the uh, close of his life. I find I find that uh, somewhat persuasive in leading us to the extraterrestrial. And the other thing is that we look at all the mundane explanations that have been offered, and, and none of them are really persuasive. So it doesn't lead us to, to the extraterrestrial, but it suggests that we don't have a, a good alternative explanation, which would end the case once and for all. Um, so it's, it's interesting uh, that uh, this happened in Ros. We're in New Mexico. We're also another famous case, but some years later, uh, the Socorro incident and uh, Lonnie Zamora and you have a, a thing at your blog uh, about uh, relating to that having to do with an insignia he saw on the object which appears in other places too a, you call it the umbrella insignia it's a kind of inverted V with a lines beneath it well that's that's we've discussed that on the on the program here a number of times with Ben Moss and Tony Angelino I don't know why I cannot say his name properly uh, we've also had Ray Stanford on the program to talk about this so we we've we've looked at that and it's one of the things that leads to the blog you know if you want additional information and how this is played out you know you go to www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com and you can read the articles that take place over 3 or 4 weeks uh discussions about all of that so yeah that's that's uh, a, a very interesting case but when you boil it down uh, you have basically a single witness case it's just Lonnie Zamora giving us first-hand information there's suggestions of others who were involved but we don't have any testimony from them directly we don't have any recordings we don't have any writings we just have stories that may have been said to people uh, in the years after this event. So, you know, that's one of the problems with the UFO phenomenon. Oftentimes, we don't get the instrumentality involved. And that was one of the things I think the scientific community would, would, would like to have us do. Get instrumentality involved, the radar sightings, the uh, photographic evidence, which the landing that's traces, true. 
all of those things would be good to build a solid case. I've always said that we need multiple chains of evidence. You get the scientific, uh, not the scientific, but you get the observational uh, examination by the witnesses. You may have landing traces if you had a radar uh, track to go with it, if you had a photograph of the object or the photograph of the object taken from multiple locations by independent witnesses, this would be a dynamite case. It'd be very hard to um, explain it as something other than what it is if you had all of that. And unfortunately, we well, don't what do you, have... What about the, um, what, what about the possibility that it's been suggested that it may have been a, uh, a moon lander being basically tested and it kind of or more roughly the same shape um, and maybe even a symbol on it that could relate somehow to some secret project. Um, and, uh, you know, one of our uh, moon landers in advance of, um, you know, the actual, our actual Apollo project. There was no documentation. Uh, yeah. There's no documentation to support yeah. that. And one of the people involved in the investigation was a guy named Cap Captain Richard uh, Holder who was the uprange commander at White Sands, he would have known about those things. So we haven't been able to locate any of that. We're now out of time. You've done your wonderful job of interviewing me, and I've shot my face off for a great deal of time here. Uh, this is... This is this is the basically the end of what we're going to have to be able to do today. Uh, this is John Shirley, my guest, whose book is... whose new book is... Stormland. Stormland. I don't know why that What's I spaced coming? that out. Uh, do you have a website that you could send people to? Um, John-Shirley.com. A okay. little hyphen so, between John and Shirley. So you can learn more about what John Shirley has written and done. We will be back next week with another exciting episode of A Different Perspective. Uh, in the meantime, take a look at the blog at www.kevinrandall.blogspot.com. And we will return in 167 hours for another exciting episode.